it's amazing to me how often we come back to like just 80s hair metal and stuff but there's just so many cornball guys in that scene that i don't know it's kind of irresistible some of the greatest characters in rock history like you had the 70s rock gods that's when they did all the pedophile stuff uh, and all the characters they would do the 80s is when they were fun guys in the 90s everybody just killed themselves and by the 2000s you didn't really have rock but the 80s that's the sweet spot yeah not necessarily for the music but certainly for the personalities so there was an interview with David Coverdale, I guess, where he said he wrote, Here I Go Again, Rat Arst on Port and 7-Up. So sick, dude. Which is disgusting. That's nasty, man. <laughs> with all due respect for your music and everything, that's disgusting, the drink. I think it's well phrased, though, because I don't think you could get rat arst on, like, a neat whiskey or something, you know? You can't get rat arst on beer takes a special combination of uh, ingredients, you know? Rat arst. Britain, colloquial, mildly vulgar. I guess that's... Also like, okay, so port wine. I was just looking it up to make sure. Port is like 20% ABV. So as far as like mixed drinks go or any like hard liquor, it's pretty weak, right? And mixing that, which is already too sweet, mixing that with 7-Up is just so cool. Did they even have diet 7-Up? Probably not. He's probably on the OG back then. That is so nasty to drink. They never heard of 7-Up Zero back then. It was a, a far off like scientific dream. It's like nuclear fusion is now, you know? That was really the dark age when they came out with soda, but they didn't have diet soda yet. I don't know how everybody didn't just die. Yeah, me neither. Especially when they're mixing it with port all the time. Yeah, everybody would do that. It was worse than when they would hand out cigarettes to everybody in the 40s. They would just hand out glasses of port wine or those big jugs. Doesn't it come in big jugs? I forget. Or is that cooking wine? I don't know. Probably. Let me go image search port. Oh, they look like pretty normal wine bottles on an image search. Oh, it's kind of a fat bottle. Yeah. I think it's more embarrassed though, or it's more embarrassing to admit that you wrote a song on port and 7-Up than when Paul McCartney said the Beatles used to jack off together. Yeah. At least that doesn't taste weird. Yeah. I, I assume they didn't taste it. Although also it would have been funnier if the Beatles were jacking off together when they wrote like their most famous songs. That would have been an even better story. But Revolution 9, Yoko Ono was there too. Yeah. <laughs> she was just sort of standing in the corner and it caused a lot of tension. Like, why are you here? That's the uh, origin story of Eleanor Rigby. They were just like trying to think of her. You know what they used to call them? The FAP 4. <laughs> Did anyone say that two years ago when that story came out? I hope yeah, not. Yeah, we need to go back two years and just, you're going to get a lot of uh, attention for that one. If you said that already, delete it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that reminded me of a couple different uh, anecdotes that I've heard where uh, an artist says that they wrote a song on a certain combination of drugs or alcohol like uh, Rivers Cuomo, I remember, sa said that Hashpipe was written on Adderall and, I think, tequila. Presumably yeah, the rest so of the funny. songs were probably also written on that. Like if he yeah. had access to that. It's weird to say it with that specific one. I want to say like, that he also said that Hashpipe was written the same night as um, Dope Nose. Which makes sense because they're like really similar singles. And then he just put them on the two albums that came out a year apart just to like space them out. But... Yeah, there was a live set that they did, I think, before the Green Album came out. That's actually really good. Or maybe it was a set of demos. And it had a great version of Dope Nose on it, maybe Hashpipe. And then a song called Oh Girl, which they never put on an album for some reason. No, Even I thought it was they did. better That's... than... Um... There's Oh Girl Friend, which is the oh, last track on the Green that? Album. Oh, okay. The best track on the Green Album. Possibly the best post-Pinkerton Weezer track. But Oh Girl never got a release. Anyway, there was that. I remember that Eddie Van Halen said blow and whiskey in a hotel room was his thing because the blow would keep you awake and the whiskey would uh, get rid of your inhibitions to make you more creative. Which I, At don't, least I don't know if that's that true one, for the whiskey part, but I'm sure blow will keep you awake. Yeah, I was going to say that one's like pretty tried and true, though. It has nothing on port and seven up. 
Yeah, that's really the magic juice you want. For me, it's always just weed. It's weed and caffeine in every single case. I was trying to remember which rap song mentioned hypnotic, but of course there's like 10,000 of them, so that's not even worth going down. That's, such, that's just like such a lame one, too. I've never had it, but it sounds kind of nasty. I think I had it when I was like 18 because it's aimed at 18-year-olds because it's blue. So it's like, oh, damn, that's so sick, dude. It's like drinking Jaeger, which, of course, Tommy Lee loves, you know? Like, there's plenty of grown musicians who just stay obsessed with the kind of things you like when you're 18 years old. Hypnotic was created in 2001 by Raphael Jacobi, a college dropout living with his parents on Long Island, New York. I don't know why living with his parents is a link on Wikipedia <laughs> to the boomerang generation. After seeing a blue perfume at Bloomingdale's, he decided to create a blue liqueur. So he saw the color blue. He saw a blue perfume and was like, I want to drink that. <laughs> His parents yet, must have I been rich that? then. That's the dumbest idea anyone's ever had. And to actually follow through on it is insane. The big break came when hip-hop impresario Sean Diddy Combs agreed to sell the drink in his restaurant chain Justin's. Justin's? Ugh. Why is that... Why don't you call it, uh, 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 Sean Donalds? Why don't you call it <laughs> Sean Donalds? I'm on uh, lyrics.com looking at songs that mention hypnotic. It's mostly stuff like All My Hoes Exotic, Hennessy Hypnotic. Uh, here's a hypnotic with some Henny. Now I feel incredible. Yeah, yeah, a king shit. Yeah, 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 a. <laughs> That seems like a waste of Hennessy. Ladies, Hennessy and you mix it with hypnotic. Almost every song mentions mixing it with Hennessy. Yeah, how yeah, good can it be if you have to mix to the it? It's already 17% yeah. ABV. Yeah, terrible idea. Y'all know what happens next. Hypnotic and rated X. One of the main questions on Google for hypnotic is, does hypnotic expire? So I imagine <laughs> there's somebody who bought one Based on yeah, like in a, 2001, and it's still sitting around. On like a 3-6 Mafia song, and they just yeah. found it. And it's like, <laughs> can I drink this? Is this still good for you? Yeah, that's a better question, is what was the last time anyone ever rapped about Hypnotic? It had to be like 04 or 05, you know? It's like a very short time frame. It's very easy to rhyme. Same with Hennessy. It fits well into a song, unlike Port and 7-Up. Yeah, that's a good so point. Maybe you, you could gotta, put that in. Your signature uh, liquor has to be easy to rhyme. Like, no one's rapping about Cabo Wabo tequila. That's kind of what David Coverdale messed up, was not mentioning what he was drinking in that song. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gone off that port and 7-Up. Pour another cup. Here I go again, lyrics. Oh, no, dude. Drake mentioned Hypnotic in 2016. He would. Why Ugh. did he do that? He's the one who was, like, uh, looking at the old bottle. <laughs> is this expired? <laughs> yeah, Drake's Googling it. Damn, 2004. This is older than my girlfriend. Yeah. Hey. Ooh. See, most of these ones are, are what you'd expect. Lupe Fiasco in 06, E-40 in 03. It's like, yeah, of course, you know. I think but I was E40, wrong. There isn't a way to fit uh, Port Wine and 7-Up into Here I Go Again. Maybe Is This Love by White Snake. Is this love that I'm feeling? This port wine at 7-Up has got me reeling. <laughs> oh my God, I just saw this for the first time. How did I not know this? One of the, when you search Here I Go Again lyrics, one of the top Google questions. I love that they have the Google questions. It's always the best content. Why did Whitesnake change Hobo to Drifter? In an interview, Coverdale explained that initially the lyrics had Drifter, but as that was already used in different songs, he chose instead Hobo. However, the laughter, the latter was changed again to Drifter in the re-recorded 87 version, reportedly to ensure that it would not be misheard as Homo. <laughs> Changing Drifter to Hobo because Drifter is in a lot of songs. But it's Whitesnake. What do you, like, what do you think you're doing? You're what not you, on Bob that Dylan? level, though. If you were gone off port and 7-Up, it would make sense. Like a hobo, I was born. But you oh, can say man. the th same thing for uh, Rivers Cuomo doing, like, hash pipe. You know, these, these players out to get me because they like my behind. He's like, oh, should I change behind to rump? Or, you know, he's, like, going back and forth on two goofy words like that. 
this Adderall got me feeling fucking different. Yeah, he must be so annoying off that combination. More annoying than normal. I can't get over him changing Drifter to Hobo. Yeah. And only changing it back because it would be misheard as homo. But it also makes no sense because, like, hobos don't walk alone. They're always together. There's always a group of them. And Rivers Cuomo never would have thought of, oh, come on and kick me. Oh, come on and kick me without uh, just the right blend of substances, man. Dude, have you ever listened to Hashpipe on Adderall? It'll fucking change your life, man. You can listen to it so fast. Yeah. <laughs> I listen to it on 10 times speed and I, I still hear the in the vocal line that's basically the um the Lita Ford song. Which song? That song by Lita Ford. I forget what it's called, but it also has a verse that's like I guess it's not a crazy thing. Like it's just such it's like a descending Yeah, it's just like descends the whole way kind of. Why wasn't he on hash though? That's the big question. Yeah. If he was on Hash, he would have written a song about Adderall. Adderall Pipe. And that is a song where, to his credit, he did not change it, so it would be uh, to keep it from being misheard as homo. Because it's very homo. Yeah. That is, like, a pretty good song overall. Like, a lot of things on the Green Album are, like, not bad. The Green Album is interesting because he specifically tried to, like create a scientific method yeah. for writing songs and it didn't really work but you can kind of see what he was going for it, but calling it a scientific method is far too generous because what it is is verse chorus melodic solo that's just the vocal melody then verse chorus and that's the whole album yeah it's not like he cracked any kind of code he just listened to 60s pop and said i'm just gonna do that what every single person did in the 60s yeah he talked about it uh he kind of talked it up when what he was really doing was just dumbing down his music. But a yeah, lot of absolutely. thought went into it, like a weird amount of thought for how yeah. simple those In songs are. In order to are. be dumber, he had to overthink it. And he wrote like a hundred songs in that era. I always hate when artists do that, when they say they wrote a hundred songs for an album, because they weren't good. I guarantee yeah, you exactly, they were not yeah. good. Like even if the Beatles had written a hundred songs for an album... Probably yeah, 10 so of them would have been Diminishing good. returns. Especially when you're in the same sort of like frame of mind working with the exact same tools. It's like, there's gonna, they're going to become really redundant, I think. Like you need to like step away for a while or use a different tuning or get a different instrument. You know what I mean? Like there needs to be something or something changes in your life. There needs to be some like delineating point that like makes you think differently rather than just doing the exact same fucking thing a hundred times. It's always the most uncreative bands that do that, too. It's always like Sugar Ray. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Like, when that's your mentality, like, and I'm just thinking of Sugar Ray, of like, if that's your mentality, all your albums kind of sound the same anyway. So I can see how you would talk yourself into, what if I just write a lot? Which is exactly why the Beatles didn't do that, because they were smart about delineating each album with different ways of recording, different instrumentation, different ideas. It would be funny to do the thing where you say you have 100 songs written or 200 songs in an interview and then end up releasing an EP. Yeah. <laughs> instead of an LP. Like, what happened to the songs? Well, uh, I don't know. Or just a single. <laughs> well, we wrote 100 songs for this 7-inch and pared it down put, to the uh, best one. Yeah, we put 99 of them into the vault. Most of them were really horrible. Most of them were actually just uh, Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones. We forgot yeah. it existed and we wrote it 99 times. Baba Black Sheep. This is our new song called uh, Hey Ho, Let's Go. Yeah, that'd be really funny to uh, accidentally rip off Twinkle Twinkle Little Star's melody without realizing it. That's what the alphabet guy did. Yeah, yeah I guess you're right. I think that was Socrates who came up with the alphabet. Yeah. He got tired of the old uh, Greek one. He was like, we need some streamlined new shit. We should treat the alphabet like we do uh, musicians and be like, how come it hasn't changed in a couple of years? You know, we need some innovation from the alphabet. That is true. If you look at the alphabet, like I've seen infographics of this, you look at the Phoenician alphabet into the Greek alphabet into the Latin alphabet, it's the same exact shit. It hasn't changed in 2000 years. Let's get some new letters. All right, the 2022 alphabet starts G-Y-X-W-B-B-B. -B -B. 
QT77CCC. And it has a kind of flow like that. Our kids are only learning 26 letters in school. And meanwhile, in China, they're learning millions of letters. Yep. They're coming up with new letters every day and we're falling behind because we have this meager shit amount of letters. Yep. We need to introduce a couple thousand in the next year or else we're not going to be able to keep up. How about the dollar sign? I mean, how often do people use that? Like more than, more than most letters, I would say. Yeah. In our, in our material society where all, all people care about is the almighty dollar. That might as well be the first letter of the alphabet. (laughs) Yeah, it should be. They should be in order of use. So it's like dollar sign, E, A, I. Exclamation point should be at the end of the alphabet. And then dot, 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 question mark. Ooh. So it opens the door to even more letters. Or next time, won't you sing with me? Yeah. When they hit you with the next time, won't you sing with me? As Barney often does. That's one that just, uh, it gets the crowd going. Yeah, you got to play it back then. You just want to hit repeat on that. Now I'm thinking it's it'd be like kind of like a Dennis Leary type of bit of just like, you know, these young kids, they're going to add the freaking emojis to the alphabet. You know, they're using these emojis so much. They they don't even remember what the 26 normal letters are anymore. I go to Starbucks and they just put an emoji in my name, you know? Kids today, today you're going to see next thing you know, the only letter there's going to be left is F. Because they're getting such bad marks in school. And they seem to like to take L's, too. F and L. Those are the only two letters now, thanks to the youth. Back in the old days, my generation, we made A the first letter of the alphabet because that's the grade you want to get the most. That's true. A is at the very front of the alphabet because that's the grade we used to get. And that's why our numbers start with 100 and then go down to 1. Got to get that 100. Now you go up to a kid, you say, you know what A is? And they, they just look at you funny and spill soda on you on purpose. Do you know what B is? Do you know what C is? They don't even answer you. And they're drinking 7-Up Zero. They never even heard of OG 7-Up. They have no respect for the history, the science of where that came from. They're not even old enough to drink port wine, which is why they haven't written any power ballads of note. What if the guys who design new 7-Ups acted like Rivers Cuomo about designing their soda. We just took a bunch of Adderall and tequila and we came up with like 10 sodas that are all just the exact same thing. They should change the name to Zup. When I was like four, I thought it was Zup. (laughs) And I think they should change it to that. Why not? Like what is seven up? Seven of what? Fingers? Is it seven out of ten? It's I, I feel like a good playground thing would be that it's like some sex thing. Like, oh dude, you put seven fingers up her butt, man. Like when you're in like second or third grade and you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's like the shocker, but with three extra <laughs> fingers. Oh, it's two sh- no, two shockers and then a thumb is seven fingers. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But that's what they named it after, because my cousin told me. I think if we told a kid that our cousins told us that, we could start that rumor today still. Being like 30 years old and walking up to a nine-year-old like, hey, man, my cousin told me this. Hey, man, you know what little Bow Wow's bodyguard did to him? You're never going to (laughs) believe this. Who's little Bow Wow? (laughs) Who the fuck is Rod Stewart? How did he get all that cum? (laughs) You know, Richard Gere from an officer in a gerbil? I feel like kids aren't getting rat arsed anymore. No one gets rat arsed. You go up to a kid on the street, you ask them, when is the last time you've been rat arsed? <laughs> and they, they think it's some sort of sexual thing and call their parents. You have to run away, but I don't know. I think it was better in the old days. They call their parents like, what is rat arsed? And their parents are like, dude, my cousin told me it's like when you put a rat up your butt. <laughs> That's what it is. My cousin also told me that. I wonder if we have the same cousin. I think that's what the guy from Whitesnake meant also. He was just in his hotel room with a pet rat, sipping port and seven up, and and that's how the magic happened. I wonder if the guy from Rat has ever been rat arsed. That would be very on brand. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, Rat and Whitesnake to me, I can't tell the difference. I don't remember any difference between them. I'm I'm sure they're not even that similar within that genre, but to me, I couldn't tell you the difference. 
Rat has one song, White Snake has two. That's the main difference. Yeah, fair enough. It is cool too for White Snake to be like giving out new anecdotes about themselves 40 years after being relevant, you know? Yeah. The woman who was dancing on the hood of the car died of old age. <laughs> like, that was so long ago. She died. Yeah. <laughs> I and it's think, like, how long has it been since 1985 by Bowling for Soup? Was that, eight, how long, eight, like, was that early 2000s, I think? I think 18 years. And that was yeah, something like that. To 1987. I think we might be farther from 1985 than 1985 was from 1987. Yeah, totally. Also, that was, that was a 1987 song, so I never realized that before. Oh, damn. Yeah. But you think there's been anyone who's been waiting over three decades like, damn, I wonder what he was on when he wrote that song. Yeah, probably crack or speed. Definitely not port wine. That original recipe 7-Up, though, is basically crack, dude. All that sugar. Oh, I guess uh, White Snake released Here I Go Again originally in 1982, but then it was re-released, and it didn't chart until it was re-released in 87. So realistically, the mom from that Bowling for Soup song would not be familiar with that song. <laughs> Unless she was like a diehard White Snake fan. We're going to have to uh, message Bowling for Soup. Excuse me, but your lyrics are completely inaccurate. It's very inaccurate. And also, I'm sorry that you, the big guy from the band died in a Murphy bed. <laughs> I heard about that on weird Twitter. I think the proof that the song is incorrect is that she's dancing on the hood of the car, which was not in the 82 music video, which was just the band performing the song on stage. How embarrassing to fuck up that bad on something so fundamental to your message. So goddamn stupid. I used to think that song was smart, but now I don't. I used to think it was, I kind of did think it was smart because I was 12 when it came out and I like, <laughs> I knew all the references and yeah. other kids didn't. I was like, yeah, I know all that stuff. I know what classic rock is. Oh, I, I wanted to mention before I forget, I was thinking about uh, like someone drinking the Sammy Hagar tequila. Like, that's what they drank to write a song, and then they write a song that's an exact ripoff of I Can't Drive 55 and have no idea. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it just gives you that power. Or like yeah, eating, exactly. Eating the Sum 41 burrito at Danny's, yeah. and you just get this weird feeling. Like, I just, I feel so creative. Like, I just, all my inhibitions are gone. I can just really, really reach for something I've never attained before. And then you're just like, duh, 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 duh. Yeah, it's like Kirby sucking up a bad guy. You eat the Who burrito, and then suddenly you got like eight hours where you can you can write them with the best, like Hoobastank did. I just got this sudden inspiration for a song about how the reason is you. Yeah. <laughs> or about someone like crawling somewhere, like in the dark. But that's why you got to mix them up, you know? If you have... Half of the Sum 41 meal, half of the Huberito. You take a shot of Cabo Wabo, you're going to come up with something fantastic. I'm on that 50% Cabo Wabo, 50% hypnotic. And then pouring that over my Huberito like it's a salsa. I think that's how you get Post Malone. Or Machine yeah, Gun probably Kelly. probably right, honestly, yeah. <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly is Tommy Lee. I mean, he hopes he is. He wants to be. It's probably that's being generous at this point, though. He kind of has the reverse age thing going on as Tommy Lee because Tommy Lee's dating like a 27 year old, but Machine Gun Kelly is dating Megan Fox, who's like 15 years older. So, in that sense, yeah. not very Tommy Lee. They're going to meet each other in the middle as they age in opposite directions. Yeah. Man, I do like that idea, though, of just like channeling artists by doing the right substance. Gotta mix Migos rap snacks with Lil Bow Wow rap snacks. See what happens. That's how all, all crossover genres are invented. Someone got the idea for Linkin Park uh, Jay-Z crossover because they drank hypnotic and then they ate, I don't know, what would be a Linkin Park food? <laughs> I don't think they have enough of like a food identity, you know? I can't like... It's a shame, but I don't think they ever sang about food, which is insane to me. 
Yeah, that's kind of bullshit to not sing about food. It's one of the most fundamental things you do every day. To not sing about it is not uh, truly representing life as it's lived. People sing about drinks all the time, but not food for some reason. Yeah, that's fucked up. It's because there's this expectation that rock stars are supposed to be skinny. That they're supposed to be like these stick-thin guys like Machine Gun Kelly. And that's why they're afraid to mention that they're having munchies in their songs. Yeah, the Hoobastank guy comes out about his mental health just like, you know, I wanted to write about a song about the Hooberito. I really did. But there was so much pressure to stay thin that like my label told me I can't. On that note, apparently Vince Neil is uh, having some weight problems again. According to Metal Sucks... MetalSucks.net. Motley Crue singer Vince Neil is under immense scrutiny regarding his extremely poor physical condition. <laughs> it's such a weird website. It's by someone named Axel Rosenberg. And I'm not sure if their name is already Rosenberg or if it's supposed to be like a dual pun on the communist spies. Nom de plume. Ooh, nom de plume. Which but, means uh, that sentence uh, he, goes on to imply, though, that. Uh, you know, under immense pressure to get in shape for the crew reunion tour, which may or may not actually happen next summer, depending on how many of us are alive after COVID and climate change disasters. I would say probably almost all of us. The great thing about climate change is that the people it affects the least are the most likely to go to Motley Crue concerts. Yeah, it's true. That's one of the things I like about climate change. It seems like Vince Neil has been trying to lose weight for like 10 years. They should just let him eat. Let the man eat. Yeah, I remember maybe on a stream or an episode or something, we watched clips of him from their reunion tour, and it was so brutal. Like, he couldn't remember the words, and he couldn't even sing a full sentence because he was so winded. It's brutal. He fell off the stage three weeks ago, too. He wasn't singing at the time, unfortunately, like uh, Travis Scott. Yeah, his auto-tuned fall. Classic moment. Yeah, people made fun of Travis Scott for that stage mishap, but, but yeah, it doesn't look so They were wrong so to now. do so. Yeah, exactly. That's what made him stop giving a fuck. Because they weren't if there anything, to catch him when he, he fell. Yeah, he should have been encouraged to start doing that as a bit uh, so that it, only bad things would happen to him and not others, you know? He could have actually raised awareness about uh, getting injured at his shows by continually falling off the stage. People would be way more careful if they saw him get trucked out of there on a gurney every single show. Mm-hmm. Just going, oh, my ankle. And it would be a story for the ages every time, too. This may be a good way to control the media cycle, to always have some kind of, like, cartoonish Looney Tunes injury at every show you play. And you have to keep stepping it up, too. Like, you have an anvil waiting in the rafters overhead. And during the encore, the anvil falls on you. Tommy Lee should do a thing where his drum set gets stuck, which it does every time. And he falls out. <laughs> <laughs> like, if they didn't strap him in, he just falls straight down. But then there's a trampoline to catch him. That is funny. Like, because it gets stuck so often, they should just have the drum roller coaster intentionally get stuck upside down at the encore break. So the whole band just walks off and he's stuck upside down and the crowd's just like cheering for them to come back out. And then when they come back out, it like intentionally gets unstuck. I think we talked about this on an episode already, but I love the idea of Tommy Lee having to pee really bad when he's stuck in the drum yeah. set thing. And he just like... What's the, what's the best thing you could do is just like piss down your face <laughs> onto the audience. Yeah, it's like a Blue Man group show. They got to have tarps. So Tommy Lee's wife, who is 27, is uh, selling like a, a fat burning device. It's called the M-Sculpt Neo. I think it's one of those things where you just strap it on yourself and then it vibrates your stomach and it doesn't uh, do anything. Like just made for TV shit from 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently he's using that to shape up. Yeah. The, the headline tour. is Tommy Lee's wife praises revolutionary fat burning and muscle building device being used by Vince Neil. I'm going to do that thing people do with Amal Clooney where they're like, oh, George Clooney's wife. She's a human rights lawyer. But with this article, Tommy Lee's wife. Her name is Brittany Ferlin, and she was a Vine star. <laughs> Learn her name. Yeah, don't you mean Brittany Ferlin's husband? Ooh. 
This other article on metalsucks.net is so bad by the same guy. It's often fun to think about what it would be like to invent time travel, go back in time, and get a famous rock star at the height of their coolness, and then take them forward in time so they can see what they become. What would Ride the Lightning era, lightning is spelled wrong, (laughs) era Lars Ulrich make of St. Anger era Lars Ulrich? How much faster would Chris Holmes have quit drinking if he'd been shown Mean Man while he was still in Wasp? I don't know who that is. I don't know members of Wasp. I have no idea, dude. And if the Motley crew that made Theater of Pain learned that in 40 years, one and a half of their members would be endorsing M-Sculpt Neo, would they all just, like, kill themselves immediately? One and a half of their members. Probably not, because those guys were never cool. Like, I watched the Motley Crue movie. The guys who made Theater of Pain were not cool. And Lars Ulrich was never cool. None of those people were ever cool. God, man, yeah, the writing on Metal Sucks is almost as good as Metalhead Zone. Um, Neil has given a number of live performances, and he has continued to sound winded and terrible at all of them. Yeah, they kind of came to the same writing style as Metalhead Zone, like, just through trying to sound epic like Maddox. Yeah. Trying to sound professional, but also putting, like, weird, awkward owns in there. Yeah, that's a good point. It really is just exactly the Maddox playbook. Given Neil's appearance at recent solo outings, though, that clearly didn't happen. So now Neil is turning to science for help. And by science, I mean what sounds to my cynical ears like an expensive shortcut with no guaranteed results at best and a scam at worst. My cynical ears? Oh, I hate Axel Rosenberg. (laughs) He needs to be prosecuted for treason like the last Rosenberg. And it's funny, like... uh... This last week uh, for E1, like, you know, when Branson and Andrew were in town, we were just talking about, like, Maddox and Lotax and all those guys. It's really funny that we came back to Maddox again here and Lotax just died, too. It's, like, it's been long enough since those guys were relevant that, like, everyone's ready to, like, reminisce about that era for some reason. Yeah, Maddox is still around. He yeah, pops up on Twitter sometimes. If anything, like, he's insanely bad poster. Like, he's wildly unfunny. But, like, if anything, it's the best possible trajectory for him that he's just, like, a sort of innocuous liberal rather than, like, a conservative shithead, right? Like, that was probably the best he could ever do. Yeah, there's definitely an alternate history where he became, like, a conservative talk radio host. Yeah. He would probably be, like, a hundred times more popular now than he is, but would just be, like, an insane demon, you know? It's better that he's out there just retweeting himself for like 20 likes with just like hack jokes from 20 years ago. E-Bombs World shows up on Twitter sometimes too. The official E-Bombs oh, World man. account, which is verified. I haven't seen that ever. Wow. I don't think it's even Eric Bauman anymore. Like I think he got bought out and it's named after him and he's not there anymore. Let's see. How many followers does E-Bombs World have on Twitter? 28,000. Who would follow that? Yeah. <laughs> Like, Twitter was invented in 2006, or or they joined in November 2008. So after November 2008, who is following eBay? That's also funny. That means they've been on there like almost 15 years and they have 28,000 followers. Yeah, like it speaks to the fact that it was already so done by the time they signed up. Oh, they're doing NFT stuff. Oh, God. Wow. I don't, uh, I guess it's not branded with eBombs World. That would be the best thing. If there was an E-Bombs World yeah. NFT for, like, Badger, Badger, Badger that they didn't even have the rights to. But, but it's like, um, oh, that's just like everything on E-Bombs World, though, you know? Yeah. They loved uh, stealing people's shit. They should do it with NFTs, too. I bet the E-Bombs World guy is the one who stole that guy's, uh, like, crazy apes or whatever. That viral post where he's like, be on the lookout for these three stolen apes. He's done it before. He'll do it again. Yeah, they stole them and put the E-Bombs World logo in a watermark over them. They keep retweeting Know Your Meme uh, doing an NFT for Surprised Kitty, a video from 2009. (laughs) Like, what does that even mean? You're just taking something that already exists and saying, here, buy it. Numa Numa, buy it. Give us some money for Numa Numa. Man, yeah. I just keep thinking about Maddox out of all those people of... If you had asked me, I would have expected like way, way worse from him. It's kind of good that he's just 
a lame guy in relative obscurity. He had you the know, p- potential to be like a man cow type of conservative or like I was going to say just that a really yeah. obnoxious guy. I guess he was just a little too early. I feel like that could have happened if he came on the scene a little later. Yeah. Like he could have really red eye yeah. or something. Even like 2014, 2015, he would have become like a psycho conservative. In the early 2000s, you really couldn't do that. You couldn't be an epic conservative. They weren't ready yet. You had to be Christian. You couldn't cuss. Yeah, it's true. It was a simpler time, Dagnabbit. I think like Lotex at the end kind of flirted with certain conservative tropes. Like I think he was sort of like leaning into cancel culture and stuff a bit just because he felt persecuted by the fact that everyone found out he's a domestic abuser. So he's like, you know, everyone's canceling me because they can't handle me, you know. I feel like he was a Republican to start with. Like, I, I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly. And I think he was like, played it a little close to the chest. But I remember him being like, supporting Bush or something like that. I wonder. I can't, I can't honestly remember. I'm sure there's people who have like encyclopedic knowledge of that shit who could tell us, but I don't know. I don't want to hear from those people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuck Especially you, right now, talk man. To me. Right now is the worst time to hear from those people. Yeah, people sharing their memories of being on the computer 20 years ago instead of on the computer now. Yeah. <laughs> he re- like That was the way I was kind of thinking about Lotex the other day, though, is like everyone's either thinking about him as a person or something awful as a site. And I was just thinking of him as a poster, and it's like, man... When was the last time he posted anything notable? It's like the way he yeah. went out in the last few years is just the most hacky bullshit from 20 years ago, getting like 10 likes on his Facebook account. Like He followed me on Twitter. I think he deleted his account years ago, but I'm permabanned oh, well, he from also the got, website. But, but he got Twitter, permabanned from Twitter, though. Did he? So, oh, yeah, yeah he I remember that. What was that for? I don't remember anymore, but he probably deserved it, I would say. Yeah. Anyway, it's funny to see, like, in that new ecosystem, he has to follow me. Exactly. But it's I'm, true, because, like, those guys just became such hacks. Like, I don't know. They just, like, couldn't keep up at a certain point. Like, Maddox is the same thing, you know? Yeah, it's E-bomb hard to think disappeared. of anybody who's, like, who's been able to be funny on the internet for that long. Because the thing is, yeah, the style know. changes so much. Like, yeah, things that were constantly. funny in the 2000s are, like, wonkette now. It's so horrible to read. Yeah. Or even like Zenny Jarden, when we read a couple of her articles on this show, it's like the most unbelievably shitty like 2008 voice that she never grew out of, you know? I know there are people who post normally who are older, but it seems like they kind of joined the internet later. Yeah, for sure. Like we got to think of people who are actually like posting in the 2000s. Like, I mean, I can't really speak to any of this stuff too much, but I think... um like livestock from something awful. I think he does that Night Vale show, which like, I don't think that show would appeal to me, but it seems like a fine thing to do, right? Like that show's yeah. popular. It has its own like little following and that's not an embarrassing thing to do. I forgot about that show. That made me so mad years ago. <laughs> like I didn't really talk I don't know anything shit about, about it, it, honestly. It was, it was one of those things. It was like that sort of fake uh, horror prose that people would do on Twitter back in the day. Okay. With like the, the pillar of wasp eggs with like the weird text and trying to be scary. It always reminded me of that. Maybe yeah, it was, it was fine, funny. but. I don't know. Well, I, I honestly have no idea, but I feel like at least that thing like continues to have its own audience and stuff. Like he's uh, at least managed to find a niche. A lot of those guys, like a lot of the something awful front page guys have like 2000 followers on Twitter. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Kind of like flamed out. There was a guy on there called Garbage Day. I don't know what happened to him. He wrote about music yeah, remember, on the front page. I remember reading his stuff, yeah, in like high school. But. And he was on Twitter, and I, th- I think he just went away. All those guys are like big computer programmers now. They all make $200,000 a year at like some mobile game company that makes <laughs> a game that puts like Bitcoin miners on your phone covertly. Yeah. <laughs> at least they found their way to something, I guess. It is, well, now we're just falling into the trap of doing exactly what we are talking about, of being nostalgic about just internet posting. <laughs> yeah, I'm not nostalgic for any of it. Yeah, me neither. I don't like, give a I, shit. It's like, I, don't have I read something awful all the time when I was in anymore. high school, but it's just like, it doesn't mean anything to me now. I barely even remember most of that shit, you know? Yeah, I was on there for a very brief time. 
Yeah, I read the front page more than I used the forums. You know what I mean? Like it was, everyone gets nostalgic for the forums, but I really just read like front page, Photoshop Friday, Weekend Web. And Branson wrote for the front page for a while, sort of in the later days. I remember that. And even that stuff. It's like when E1 started, we considered using those um, concepts for E1, like Teen Orc and his thing where it's like the NFL draft and treating them all like livestock. But we just never used any of them because it's like, I don't know. We don't fucking need like old ideas. It's easy to think of ideas constantly, you know, just got to move on. I think to have like real nostalgia, you have to have like a point in the past when you were happy. Yeah. I can't, I can't <laughs> think of very many, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, just to bring it back around to music a little bit, like to me, I understand getting nostalgic for music much more because it's more fundamentally tied to emotion, I guess. We're like, you know, it's like me, if I think back on being in high school, it's like, oh, the Strokes album. Like, I still like that album purely for nostalgia reasons because I was young when I got into it. And that makes a lot more sense than thinking of like a funny article and being like, damn, I'm so nostalgic for Teen Orc, you know? It's like, come on. There's no, you had no emotional attachment to that beyond like the jokes were funny. Something I like doing is putting like nostalgic stuff or stuff that would be nostalgic in people's faces all the time. Like on the Chapo stream, uh, the sub noises are like the Windows startup sounds. Yeah. <laughs> so you replace uh, the synapse firing in someone's brain with association to you. Yeah, that's good. Or like the jib jab video, shit like that. So now when you see that, you think of me. You don't think of 2004. Yeah, the Windows startup thing's perfect because if you try to get nostalgic for that, it's just absolutely insane. Like, oh, I remember starting up my computer back in the day. It's like, fuck you. You need something better. Like, that's like a Branson kind of thing. If you just need to go like shovel some gravel or something, if that's how you what you feel nostalgic for. You never cared about that when it was happening. It's like people who get nostalgic for children's cartoons. Like, oh man, remember Cat Dog or whatever. It's like, who gives a shit? That shit wasn't any good, man. It's yeah, like it's like now. I've been watching it the whole time. People are like, you remember Barney? I'm like, yeah, what it's do you like mean I never I re- stopped watching Barney, yeah. I just finished watching him. What do you yeah, mean remember? He, Barney actually peaked in like uh, 2017, but you weren't paying attention. He had a Berlin trilogy of specials Yeah, that he, uh, <laughs> he shot in Berlin with Brian Eno. Yep. Very interesting music. The ABCs, it was a, a very like microtonal rendition of the ABCs. Yeah, he's kind of reimagining some of those early songs, and it was kind of like making you think about how far he had come, you know? It's actually kind of a refutation of some of his early work. Barney hadn't really got into the oblique strategies yet because yeah. the, the techniques he used in his early career would just, they, those took him so far, but eventually he had to really advance it. He had to advance his craft. He had to get into sequencers and theremins and all kinds of stuff. Man, would it, maybe we should actually do this on a stream. We should make a children's song using oblique strategies. That would be fun. So there was this Bloomberg article that it took like uh, seven tries to get to load without the paywall. It's about how there's a uh, new band based on NFTs that's pretty much just gorillas. Yeah, it's but, called Kingship, and it's just like some corporate uh, spawn, you know, some moron yet universal music group thought of this shit. They partnered up with just some idiot who's very invested in those uh, Bored Ape Yacht Club NFTs and just got four of his Bored Apes and made a fake band out of it, which hasn't made any music yet, but Bloomberg is the only publication dumb enough to write about just the idea that someone would do something so stupid. They already did gorillas, and it does say in this article, uh, a virtual band is not unprecedented. In 1998, musician Damon Albarn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he was yeah. able to actually write, write songs. Yeah, exactly. This is putting the horse before the cart of, like, Damon Albarn spent a decade making very popular music and then decided to start another project. Whereas this is, they haven't made any music yet, and they just have four NFT apes. And they're like, oh, this will work. It'll come together somehow. I am One interested. of them is a rare golden ape. It's just a different color. It's worth more. Wow. The world's largest music company has created a band of four virtual apes. I like that how, how that's phrased. Like, it, it could be <laughs> someone who's virtually an ape. 
like a band you don't like. <laughs> Motley Crue is yeah, a band near, of four, four men who are virtually apes. apes. <laughs> they should be in the zoo. If that sentence makes you question your sanity or the state of Western civilization, you aren't alone. See, I hate that kind of writing. Me too. It's also <laughs> even specifying Western civilization. Like, what's Western about the four ape NFTs? It's just like purely terrible fucking writing because it doesn't even know to what it's like trying to refer, you know? Yeah. Like, I guarantee you they're doing this shit in Japan and like India. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that kind of writing is the worst where it's like, well, uh, something else in the hell world. Yeah, it makes me want to read uh, Metalhead Zone instead. Yeah, this they're... This is original. They're optimistic. They're not like, ooh, I have COVID imposter syndrome. God, this article is just so brutal, though. Universal Music, the home to top-selling musicians like Drake and Taylor Swift, is working with collector Jimmy McNellis to convert four of his NFTs into a band called Kingship. Kingship consists of four digital characters, three bored apes and one mutant ape, all part of an NFT collection known as the Bored Ape Yacht Club. This club is one of the most successful NFT stories of the past year. It gave anyone who bought one of the apes full commercial rights to use the image. Why would you want to use the image? It looks like shit. This is literally how middle schoolers make bands, though, where they choose a name and they're like sketching logos in their notebook but they've never even tried to start writing a song ever. That's like exactly what they're doing, but just with lots and lots of money backing them up. Yeah, it's like if Damon Albarn came up with Gorillas, but he didn't know how to play music. Like <laughs> exactly. He was just some guy, some rich guy. <laughs> like, okay, so we got uh, we got some cartoons, and they're going to play some songs. I don't know what they look like or what the songs are, but it's going to be awesome. God, and the fucking guy who's the head of this like subsidiary label of Universal... You can call it an NFT band or think of them as characters. Celine Joshua, the head of the label, said in an interview this week, the characters will come to life. The apes will come to life. Oh, it's a her. Sorry, it's not a him, but uh, just a fucking insanely stupid thing to say. So it's animated is what you're saying. Yeah. It's yeah. a cartoon. Imagine, yeah, explaining what a cartoon is. The characters basically come to life when uh, you see frame after frame where they slightly move in each one. It, it mimics the appearance of a real thing that is moving around in our world. I think you could potentially do this with a character that made sense. Like if you had meme characters, like recognizable characters that had their own identities and weren't reskins of this horrible drawing of a chimp with like a flat expression. Yeah. Like they all have the exact same face and facial expression. Yeah, it's true. Like you can only make one bored ape band ever. The second one is indistinguishable from the first. Why are they so bored? If they're bored, I don't want to listen to it. It's like when Pavement says they're slacker rock. Like, well, if you're slacking, I'm not listening to it. Yeah, I want to listen to the hard guys. working band. The hardest working bands in show business is what I want to hear. Yeah, James Brown. But uh, very embarrassingly... James Murphy from LCD Sound System DJed a party for Bored Ape Yacht Club. Like anyone with that one of those NFTs, like this is actually kind of the thing behind those Bored Apes is really it's just for like lonely nerds who want to be part of a club. So you have to buy the NFT to come to these shitty parties. And like that's probably why they're getting like, I wouldn't even say scammed because they want to be scammed. So it's like, that's why they think it's such a great investment. But fucking James Murphy from LCD Sound System DJed one of them. It's like, oh, no, dude, what are you doing, man? It's like the perfect storm with COVID happening and people lure, uh, losing touring income. Yeah. So, like, the, the amount of people who are willing to buy into this shit or at least just take the check and yeah. do the show and go home is way higher than normally would be. These guys are flush with Ethereum after selling hundreds of bored apes, and James Murphy can't say no. I'm interested to see if the music for this ever actually comes out because I would like to see the Twitter threads with guys defending the music. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, NFT guys pretend like it's their favorite band ever before they've heard it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. We really should keep an eye on this. Yeah, they're some of the weirdest conversations those guys have. Like, they must all know each other from some forum and they all have the same picture that they bought and they're telling everybody or telling each other back and forth all day. Like, Dan, this is going to be worth so much money. This ape is awesome. I love my ape. You want to see my ape? That's the most amazing thing about those avatars is 
they've made a generation of people who at first understood that like digital rights management sucks now love it. Like when iTunes did that with songs, everyone was so mad. And now they're like begging to have DRM on all their shit. And it just goes through some random person's website who could disappear at any moment. Yeah, exactly. There's been so many fucking scams with this shit too. I mean, we're just preaching to the choir, I'm sure. I don't think there's anyone who listens to this show who's like, man, I'm so into fucking bored apes. <laughs> God, yeah, just the, uh, man, I don't know. The kind of people who buy into this shit though, like the speaking to that record label owner still, uh, she's the kind of executive who tries to stay ahead of the next big financial opportunity. <laughs> Another just meaningless sentence. Like, how many executives aren't trying to find financial opportunities? But uh, for the next past few years, that has been social media or Web 2.0 in tech parlance. She has tried to convert the social media personalities Lele Pons and Chantel Jeffries into musicians and oversees much of the label's relationship with social platforms like YouTube. And when we saw this earlier, we were like, who the fuck are they? But then I guess to her credit, she like shoehorned the first one of those artists onto like a new Black Eyed Peas song. So I guess she has been successful in just finding the other shitty artists from these major labels and just smacking them together. It's one of the slimiest ways you can monetize an audience. It's like on the level of posting that thing under a tweet that's like a link to the the vibrator that sucks your shit off <laughs> yeah. or, or the light. How do you do that? Some by Tommy the way, Lee I want to post those under a famous tweet, but uh, yeah, like it's just, it's so slimy, but I'm sure nobody's going to remember it in like 20 years. They're not going to be like, Oh, that was so fucked up. How Lele Pons, who is now remembered so fondly for her contributions to music. Yeah, like, that was a low point. Like they're not even going to remember. Like an NFT, no. what's that? And then she's going to make uh, Kingship, the NFT group, look like you know even shittier. Like this is this is not going to get off the ground. Although I hope to eat my words in like two years. I would love it if Kingship is the biggest group on earth. They should make it hyper realistic and have one of the guys get me tooed and have to be replaced <laughs> with a new ape. Who did that already? Remember, um, some company already did that. I think we talked about that like a year ago where they had like some uh, virtual woman talk about how she was sexually assaulted. Oh, yeah. By a bored ape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's all bullshit, why not just make the stories insane like that, right? Yeah. Make it a big soap opera. Trying to get over my bored. PTSD of being stabbed by a bored ape. Having your face ripped off like that woman who thought she could have a yeah. chimp as a pet. That's my main problem with these bored apes is they're going to hurt you. They might seem bored, but you get close to them and they'll really do some damage. That's why we're trying to cut down the jungle to get rid of these fucking things. So the woman who runs the label, it's talking about how she met this guy McNellis who owns the NFTs and stuff. And uh, McNellis acquired hundreds of ape NFTs from Yuga Labs LLC, the creators of the Bored Ape Yacht Club, and has a collection that he estimates is worth more than $100 million. <laughs> like, all right, dude. Calling it the Yacht Club is so funny. Yeah, it speaks to these, like, losers' aspiration to get rich by doing nothing, you know? The Fancy Boy Rich Guy Club for cool guys. Exactly, man. It's also transparently just, like... I don't know, just kind of wimpy and sad and weird. But that's exactly what needed to come along for crypto guys, you know? Like, it does make sense, I guess. You might as well just ride it out if this is going to be the industry now. Like, there should be a reality show where the NFTs compete with each other and you can vote for them. Like an American Idol with NFTs where the apes sing. Yeah. And they all give speeches about representation in media. And then somehow the one that wins... Their ape album that they put out gets like uh, number 93 on the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah. Despite having all the top marketers behind it. I mean, they probably will. That's the thing about this group, though. We really do need to keep an eye on this because they have massive industry connections. So they can easily shoehorn them into all these like mainstream like areas, right? Like they can, they can do a song with the black eyed peas and they could get on like CBS or whatever. So it'd be really funny to watch how it flops. You know, I would like to see America's got talent where they have an ape on the stage. It's like a hologram or just a, a screen projection. 
of an NFT doing a dance, and then they do the buzzer to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just doing the same, like, five-frame dance again and again. It's basically it just a fancy GIF. It wouldn't be that far off from when Shark Tank did the thing with the T-Mobile cell phones, where they oh, would just pull them out and be that. like, damn, we, I, I can beam this picture of what's right in front of me over to your phone, which is the same phone. To like stop the show and like zoom in on the phones, man. It's gonna be like that. God, that reminds me of love, my NFT. Like, like people, most normal people have something they like doing, and then they have to start a business in order to like take care of the finances. But all the biggest psychos on earth are entrepreneurs first, and then they figure out what they're gonna do after they decide they're an entrepreneur. You know. Like Shark Tank embodies that culture, and so does this NFT shit. It's all just the dumbest fucking people on earth, man. Like, uh, it's back to that uh, record label owner who's working with the NFT guy. Uh, she pitched him on the idea, and then she like scoured through his NFT ape collection to find four characters she thought would work as a band. Like their personalities would go together. Yeah, it's so funny, dude. Like only Bloomberg's dumb enough to print this. Like. You can't get this on like stereo gum or something. Business press is so bad. Like the person who wrote this should get negative money. They have the nerve to put a paywall over this shit. And it's like a press release from some scam company. Yeah. For a band that doesn't even exist yet. It's named after Michael Bloomberg, who's a vampire. Yep. He's evil. He's from hell. I think the only other Bloomberg article we read on this show was the one where they just did a different basically press release for sprinter vans or is that one random like indie pop band where the whole thing was a paid advertisement for the sprinter van and they just had pictures of them in the van and shit oh yeah that was crazy like, and there was like everything on as if it was a new thing yeah and the final um paragraph or actually wait no there's a couple more after it but one a paragraph in this article is we're still trying to figure out exactly what it is, McNellis said. I'd like to see kingship be one of the main ways the mainstream is introduced to NFTs in the metaverse. It's like, we have no clue what we're doing and no plan of what this music's going to be, but I'd like it to be extremely popular. All those guys are so clueless. Like, I don't know if they do it as a joke. Like, we can be as stupid as we want. We can just come up with the dumbest ideas you've ever heard of. And you're going to have to buy them. Or if they're just that out of touch that they think shit like the metaverse is going to catch on. No, it's like, I think it is what I was trying to articulate earlier of like, if you're a musician and you start to be successful enough, you make an LLC to process all of the money you make from shows. But these are the guys who make the LLC, they buy the NFTs, and then they think, what can I do with this crap? And it's like, oh, I'll make music even though I don't know how to do it and I don't particularly care about it. That'll work. All the guys who did that scam a few years back, or I guess a year ago, when uh, people would say you register an LLC, then get a small business loan from the PPP, and then you just take the money. And they're like, that's how you start a business. <laughs> All those guys are into NFTs now. Yeah, After exactly. that genius idea. And main, I do, I also just feel it's, I think there's like a pretty cliche opinion, but it's mostly just guys who put too much money into crypto and they technically made a good amount of money on it, but it's basically still useless. So it's like, oh, this is some crap I can buy with all this crypto that I already bought, you know? It's like kind of justifying the investment to them. Yeah, like there is stuff that I can buy with this other than heroin. Yeah. There's like a real <laughs> thing that's in the news that I can buy with this. There needs to be a new Silk Road that's like Bored Ape Silk Road. And you can get NFTs of the drugs you buy. Like a sheet of acid with a bored ape on it? Yeah, exactly. It's got like a different kind of facial expression. It's smoking a cigar or something. There's a tab of acid smoking a cigar. Oh, I was also thinking of having a sheet of acid with something printed on it. And you write a song and it's exactly like what was printed on the sheet of acid. Like it's Homer Simpson and you write the Simpsons theme. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like Mickey Mouse. Like... What do they put on sheets of acid? I don't even remember. I can't buy it a sheet at a time. I'm not one of these NFT millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> also, I feel like mainstream artists immediately got bored of NFTs, right? Because like Kings of Leon did that thing where you could buy NFTs for tickets to their shows. And like somehow it gives you like a perpetual front row seat. Like some kind of, like, they had a bunch of different gimmicks they tried. I haven't seen a single word about that since like the one month when all those bands were doing that. 
the closer you are to the stage for Kings of Leon, the more likely it is you get shit on by a seagull. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've seen it's the true. footage of their concerts. There's just yeah. birds circling them. Yeah, ever since it happened in St. Louis, now the birds just follow them like Grateful Dead fans. It's like 6,000 birds in the parking lot just waiting to jump up in those rafters. It's like how if you leave dead bodies out, vultures will eventually swarm. If you have a Kings of Leon show, you will get seagulls. It doesn't matter if it's in Nebraska. They'll find a way down there. Yeah, they got their own van they're bringing. But uh, I do think we got to keep checking in on this NFT band. I'm even just curious how long it's going to take them to make a song. Either they never make one or... I don't know, you know, like they're going to churn out some crap. So maybe it won't be too long. Maybe like four to six months from now, we can hope there's some kind of update, you know. I'll write the song. Yeah, that's true. If uh, the makers of Kingship are listening to this, just ignore all the negative things we said about your terrible idea and please pay us to write the song. I am a picture of a monkey. I came up with that. You should join um, Kingship as the fifth member. It's just you and four NFTs. (laughs) 